0: Well, my name is Ron Cullen. and I'm one of the pastors here. Again, it's a joy to welcome all of you here. As Daniel mentioned, we're going to have a congregational meeting a week from Tuesday, but I wanted to kind of let you know, we've got some absentee ballots out. This is a really big issue as we think about where God is calling us to go, and so we'd love to have you participate. We know that on a weeknight, not everybody gets an opportunity to come out, but um, if you could pick one of these up, I know there are some there, I believe in each of the exits out that way as well by the doors, you'll find these, and if you can't make it on that Tuesday night, if you can participate in this, that would be great. There are also some commitments on the back that the council has made about what we'll do um, if we have to phase the project, and also about saying, you know, we're not going to go into long-term debt on any of this, and so we'll talk more about that later, But uh, just wanted to encourage you to, if you know you can't be there, uh, again, we'd love to have hundred percent participation in in uh, voting on this one. So if you can, if you're not going to be there, if you can get an absentee ballot, uh, we would appreciate that very much. Last week we uh, we started a new sermon series here at Hillside, and we're calling it the Gospel of the Nobodies. With some thanks to Adam Hamilton for the title and also for some of the some of the ideas of the sermon. But the Gospel of the Nobodies. Uh, what we're going to do during this series is we're going to take a look at the Gospel of Luke. All right, uh, take a look specifically at the Gospel of the Luke. It'll take us through Good Friday, through Easter, and the, the two weeks after that, because one of the main themes of the Gospel of Luke, and and Eric actually touched on this on, on the Sunday after Christmas, but one of the main themes of the Gospel of Luke is that God has a heart for the nobodies of this world that God has a heart. Luke wants us to know that when Jesus came, Jesus came to be with the least and the last, the lowest and the lost. He came to be with the sinners and the sick and the struggling. Jesus came to be with those who are weak and washed out. And, and Luke is constantly pointing us to this. He's constantly teaching us, constantly showing us that, that God has this heart for the nobodies. That God has this heart for those who are on the edges. God has this heart for those who are considered unimportant by everybody else, the last, the least, the lost. God has a heart for the nobodies. And, and one of the ways Luke makes this clear, and, and it's kind of fascinating, you can do this as you read the Gospel of Luke. But Luke will often tell us stories where there are two main characters interacting with Jesus. And, and in, these char- in these stories, one will be a nobody and one will be a somebody, and so often what happens in these stories is that the nobody discovers that he or she is somebody, and the somebody discovers that he or she is nobody, and there's this amazing transition that happens over and over, and in fact, the next three weeks, this week and the next two weeks, we'll be looking at exactly these kind of stories. Pay attention, because Luke is telling us two stories in one, And, and, and pay attention to the differences. Pay attention to what we notice about what happens with the nobodies, and about what happens with the somebodies, all right? And, and, and just kind of to make it clear for those, uh, in, in the next three weeks especially, there are going to be two important lessons. One is, and this is going to be key this morning, we're all nobodies. Okay, we're, we're all nobodies. At the end of the day, in, in, in God's eyes, we're all nobodies who have become somebodies through Jesus Christ. But it starts by understanding we're nobodies. And then also that we need to learn to love the nobodies around us, all right? Those are going to be kind of key themes that go through the next three weeks and and really through the whole series, all right? So the first story we're going to look at comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, starting at verse 36. And in my Bible, the heading was this, the Pharisee and the sinful woman. Some of you may be familiar with this story, but we'll walk through it step by step. The first person Luke is going to introduce us to is the Pharisee, all right? This is what Luke says, Luke 7, verse 36. He says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the pharisee 's house Jesus went to the pharisee 's house and reclined at the table. all right so Luke says, "You know what there was a Pharisee, and, and you need to know a little bit about this Pharisee because he was a somebody okay in that, in, in that world, he was a somebody luke doesn 't tell us here, but in just a minute he 's going to tell us that his name is Simon, okay so there was this Simon, this Pharisee who invited Jesus over as a Pharisee. What we know about Simon is that he would have been been really really passionate about his religious life. All right? He would have been serious about his religious life. And in, and in some ways, one of the things, sometimes when we think about Pharisees, we kind of get this judgmental idea in our head, and some were. But you need to understand, a lot of these guys were just the, the salt of the earth. They were really good guys. They tried to take God very serious. They took their, their religious life very seriously. And, it's, and it's, I think it's worth knowing that Pharisees didn't get paid, Okay? They weren't like the priests who were paid to be good. The Pharisees were good for nothing. No, that's not right. I mean, that's right. You see, I get paid to be good. You're all good for nothing. Um, Anyway, sorry. Uh, But but the Pharisee, he did it because he loved God. He did it because he he, he was passionate, and he he wanted to be pure, and he wanted to be righteous. and, and, And again, you and I both know bad company corrupts good character, right? And so they tried to keep themselves away from bad company because they loved God, because they wanted to honor God. And so he was really serious about his religious life. He was probably financially fairly well off. He um, was secure, at least. He would have the ability to, to throw a banquet like this, to have a lunch, to have a home where, where people could come and visit like Jesus did. And so, again, he was financially, he was somebody, he was respected in the community. And the reason he wants to have Jesus over... I think we have to understand this. The reason he wants to have Jesus over is he's checking Jesus out, okay? He's checking Jesus out. He's heard about this other teacher, about Jesus, a rabbi of some sort, but not a Pharisee, not a scribe, not a priest, a rabbi of some sort. Probably heard some really interesting things, maybe some very good things, but also some questionable things. We, We don't get any sense that Simon is inviting Jesus over to trap him. Later on, some of the religious leaders are going to do that, okay? But, but at this point, Simon, I think what he really wants to do is he wants to say, okay, is Jesus, is Jesus on my team? Is, is Jesus somebody who I want to associate with? Is, is, is Jesus a somebody I mean, can he be with us? Is he one of us? So Simon invites Jesus over, and and Luke says they reclined at the table. That'll become important for us to recognize. And and again, some of you uh, understand this. uh, I've seen this before. But um, when when they had a dinner party in Israel at this time, they wouldn't sit at a table on chairs like we do. You'd recline at the table. And as you can see from this picture, they'd, they'd have a, a bench, basically, with a mattress on it or some kind of softening thing on the pillows, and, and everybody would lay down with their feet away from the food, and the food would be in the middle. And, and so often, you'd lay on your left side with your left elbow out, and you'd eat with your right hand, and everybody would be seated around the table. Now, um, notice then that the feet are away from the table, but notice as well, and it's not easy to see in this, that there's room behind everybody here, Okay? Um, there was room behind. And one of the things that was, it seems fairly common in this day is that if if there was an interesting lunch happening uh, between two people and you wanted to go, you could go and not sit at the table, but you could stand against the wall, okay? You could stand back there and just listen in, And, 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 and when Jesus and Simon, when Jesus and a Pharisee would get together, it would be kind of an interesting thing to hear that conversation, right? And so it wouldn't be unusual, and there could be people who were standing behind them there. This actually might have even been open air, but people who were standing behind them, people who were coming in and going out who were not on the guest list. It would have been okay for people to do that, alright? So, um, one other thing, just kind of to get an idea, if they followed normal protocol, the host would be at this, at the top of that first table on the left, and the guest of honor would have been there, which means that we would have Simon here at this place, and Jesus would be there, alright? So they'd be kind of, Jesus would be here, Simon would be here, alright? So that's, that's where they are. So the Pharisee is there, he's there, he's just somebody, he's checking Jesus out. They said some people came in and out. One of the people who came in was a woman, all right? She was, oh no, excuse me, one other thing before we go on to that. Um, you need to know this. Simon gives Jesus a less than warm welcome, okay? Gives him a less than warm welcome. He, he wasn't rude to him. But you see, if, if you were coming to my house and I wanted to greet you warmly, um, you know, I mean, today we'd, I'd, I'd be at the door, I'd shake your hand, I might give you a hug, I might do whatever, but there would be certain things I would do, right? Well, in this day, there were three things that somebody would do when they invited somebody else over. First thing you'd do is you'd give them water to wash their feet. You wouldn't have to necessarily wash their feet, but you, it's, again, a dusty climate, Right. They're wearing sandals, there's dust all over, they're walking all the time. You give them water to wash their feet. The second thing that you would do is, is you would give them a kiss, okay? You, you would greet them with a kiss, sometimes on both cheeks, sometimes on one cheek, but, but you would greet that person with a kiss. And then the third thing you would do is you would give oil for that person's face. Okay, again, it's sunny, it's dry, your face, your, your skin would get dried out. And so when somebody came in, you'd have just a little bit of oil there, and they could rub it on their face and, and kind of soothe their face as well. So those would be the normal things. What, what we find out in just a minute from the story is that when Jesus came in, Simon did none of this, okay? Simon didn't do any of this. I, I would imagine he welcomed him. But again, Simon is checking Jesus out, so he welcomed Jesus But it was a little bit of a, okay, I'm not telling you I accept you yet. I'm not telling you that I affirm you yet, that I recognize you. He didn't give him water to wash his feet. He didn't greet him with a kiss, and he didn't give him any oil for his face. So we have the Pharisee there. He is there, he is a somebody, and then this is where the woman comes into the scene, all right? The woman comes in, Luke 7, verse 37. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. That's big. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So we have our somebody, right? We have Simon, we have the Pharisee, and now we have our nobody. She's a nobody for several reasons. Part of it, it's just the fact she's a woman. And in that culture, to be a woman was to be a nobody. Uh, there were probably no men or no women sitting at that table, okay? Reclining at that table, probably no uh, women whatsoever. It was just men, all right? And then Luke tells us the key thing that she had lived a sinful life. He doesn't specify which sin, but the likelihood, the strong, strong likelihood, is that she was a prostitute. If not, she was a serial adulterer, but she had wrecked marriages. She had caused a lot of damage in the town. She was somebody who had, who had sold herself, had been involved in, in that business and, 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 in, and in adultery and all of those sorts of things. And, and Luke wants us to know that everybody knew it. She had lived a sinful life in that town. And, and, and that's the way of saying to us, everybody knew who she was. Everybody knew what she was. Everybody knew how her life was falling apart. Everybody knew it. And and so what Luke wants us to know is 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 her life is a train wreck. And and we want to just stop and see this woman, okay? Her life is a train wreck. She has made love to a lot of men but never been loved by a man. She, She has been held by a lot of men but never been held by a man. She, 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 whether she got into it on her own or whether something bad happened to her or, or whatever it was but she is at a place where she knows who she is she knows how everybody else sees her she knows that she is, as George called her once the shady lady she, she's just that person that you don't want to have your 18 year old son bring home to meet the family okay she, she's, and, and she hates herself at one level I, 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 deep down she doesn't this is, she didn't grow up dreaming she'd be a prostitute okay no little girls at six-year-olds are saying, "When I grow up, I want to be a prostitute." This was never her dream, this was never her goal. But she is what she is, and she has no way out of it. And she know that she is just lost, and that there's nothing she can do with it. Her, her life is a train wreck, and she has she says it says perfume, it, it's scented oil that she brought in in an alabaster jar. I, we don't know. It could have been something like this. This is actually alabaster I bought in Israel a couple of years ago, if you want to see it afterwards. It's very heavy. It's not as thin inside as that, what she probably would have had, but it could have been something a lot like this. The other option of what she might have had with her was um, a, a perfume jar like this, and I've got a, a picture of it that you can see it a little better here. But I picked this up in Israel as well. And, and what women would do was they would wear this as a necklace. Again, in that culture you you sweat a lot and you didn 't bathe often, and smell was strong okay and, and so again let 's recognize think about this for a prostitute that little that that vessel, that perfume was what made her attractive I, I mean that was part of what made her gave her her living that was part of what gave her her job and It might have been that she just wore it around her neck like this, that it was just this small little thing and and, and, and that was a way of of kind of having it ready at any time for her to, to perfume herself so that, she could, so, so that she could do her job. And, and so Luke says she has perfume, she has scented oil. She walks in, and, and again, I imagine if you think of that picture, Jesus is in the back a little bit to the left when she walks into the room. She's got her head down because she knows who she is. She's never been in Simon's house before, I can promise you that. She keeps her head down, and she just walks. I don't know if everybody would have stopped conversation, okay? It's interesting to me. Again, we're so judgmental of the Pharisees and their judgmentalism. He didn't kick her out. Simon must have known who she was, but she just comes, and she's quiet, and and her head is down, and she walks around the table, and she stands behind Jesus, and then she starts to weep. The tears come down her face, and they fall on the feet of Jesus. And she begins to wash his feet with her tears. And and, and she's just, I don't know if she's loud or not. I I don't picture her wailing. In my mind, I just picture her with the tears just streaming down her face. And then she does something that you and I don't understand that that was just really, really intimate and in a lot of ways scandalous. She lets down her hair. Right, you think about it, and even today in the Middle East, you don't see a woman's hair, right? They get it covered. In that culture, okay, you could occasionally have your hair uncovered if you were inside, but to let down your hair, you only did that when one thing was going to happen, when it was that intimate, when it was that close. Your spouse, your husband was the only one who saw you with your hair down. But here she is in public, and she lets her hair down, and she starts to just wipe the feet of Jesus with them. With, with her hair. Luke says it this way. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and then she kissed his feet and poured perfume on them. She took out her little jar or a bigger jar and she poured perfume on his feet. And, and what she's saying is, I love you. I Love you. She's with everything she's got. Now, it's interesting. This is going to become important. Remember I said, Simon, there were three things Simon didn't do? Look at what she does. Look at what she does. She, first of all, she she wet his feet and wiped them. She washes his feet. Simon gave him no water, but she gives her tears. And and, and Simon gave him no kiss, but she kisses his feet. Simon gave him no oil, but she poured scented oil, poured perfume on them. So we have this amazing scene, and, and, and at this point, it's, it's got to be that the other conversation is stopped, and everybody's looking at this woman as she's done this thing, and, 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 and nobody's saying a word. I imagine Jesus looking at her, but I imagine as Jesus looked at her, he had different things in his eyes than everybody else, because what Jesus had in his eyes was an amazing love. It's not the first time he's seen her. Later on, that'll be clear, but, but it's not the first time he's seen her. You see, somewhere along the line, this woman whose life was a train wreck, maybe it was earlier that morning, maybe it was the day before, maybe it was last week, maybe it was last month, but somewhere along the line, she'd been someplace, maybe waiting for a trick, maybe waiting for something to happen, maybe just standing in a doorway, but she had seen Jesus. And she went and she looked in his eyes. And and, and for me, I, I just imagine that. And I am so looking forward to seeing literally into the eyes of Jesus. But she looked into his eyes. And can you imagine it for the first time? She saw somebody who knew everything about her, but who absolutely loved her. I think Jesus, with his eyes, could, could make it clear that, that she was so precious that when he saw her, he knew all she had done. He knew her sin. He knew her brokenness. He knew the, 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 the way that everybody else treated her. He knew the way everybody else talked about her. But when he looked at her, he looked into her eyes, and, and she just knew that she was loved like she'd never been loved before. And, and this nobody realized that she was a somebody That this nobody realized she was a child of God. This nobody realized she was precious in God's sight. And it absolutely overwhelmed her. And that's why she comes back here. That's why she comes to Jesus. That's why she doesn't care what anybody else thinks. She just wants to give Jesus her life. She pours out her perfume. That's her livelihood. She pulls down her hair. That's her intimacy. She kisses his feet. That's her surrender, right? And she gives absolutely everything she can to Jesus because Jesus has shown her that in God's eyes, she is a somebody. This nobody and again, Luke is all about the nobodies, right? This is the gospel of the nobody. This nobody, this prostitute, this woman of the streets, this woman who had never had anybody care for her, Jesus just looks at her and loves her and forgives her and accepts her. And she realizes that she is loved, she is accepted, and she is forgiven. And, 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 and that's the gospel for the nobodies, That's the good news for the nobodies. If you come here this morning and you say, that's who I am, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody in this. The good news is that Jesus Christ, is. if you're a nobody, your father still loves you and you are somebody. And if you come to Jesus and let him touch you, let him heal you, let him forgive you, if you come to Jesus, if we do that in our nobodiness, he makes us somebody. And he gives us new life and he washes away our sins and we celebrate the good news for the nobodies. And as we come to this table... For some of us, it's just straight up good news. It is just straight up a reminder that, in spite of the fact, and and, and again, I mean, a lot of us, even though we might look good on the outside, a lot of us don't like ourselves at all. I I mean, mean, the fact is, a lot of us, when we look at ourselves, I mean, we can find excuses, but we know who we are. We know we're sinners. We know we've blown it. I, I mean, if you feel like, if you feel like, If somebody could see into your heart, if somebody could read your mind, that that you would be absolutely destroyed, then then you know you're a nobody. And Jesus says, come to my table. Come on home. There's good news for nobodies. The nobody becomes a somebody, but we still got a somebody to think about. And I got to tell you, this is the part that I think speaks and challenges me most. Because I'm a somebody. I am, and so are a lot of you. When the Pharisee who had invited her, uh, invited him rather, saw this, he said to himself, he doesn't say anything out loud, he just thinks to himself, okay? Again, give the guy some credit. He doesn't say, this woman is, get her out of my house. She has no place here. She didn't. I mean, imagine, I mean, can you imagine? Again, just think about it. You're throwing a dinner party and a prostitute comes up and sits on the lap of your honored guest. I mean, that's what happens here. When, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, "If there was this this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him." Again, that intimacy thing. and what kind of woman she is—that she is a sinner. All right, and, and and what Simon is doing. Again, remember, he's there to check Jesus out. Simon decides that Jesus is not on his team. Okay, I don't think Simon was going to say you're all done or whatever, but I think he just said, "Okay, all right, if you're not going to do anything about this, then then I get who you are and." That's just not how I roll, okay? I just don't need this. Now, Simon thought this to himself. Look at what Luke tells us. Jesus answered him. Jesus knows what Simon was thinking. He didn't say it out loud. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And he gives a little parable. Two people. Two people owned, uh, owed money to a certain man, money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Let's just kind of, you know, it's hard to do the money thing, but let's say $100,000 and $10,000, right? It's, it's 10 times different. One owes 100,000, one owes 10, all right? Jesus says, okay, you got that situation. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, all right? So he forgave the debts of both. And then the question, Simon, which is going to love him more? Wh- which of the two will uh, will love him most? Simon, Says, I I guess, I I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, bingo, right? And it just makes sense, right? I mean, if you had a a debt of $100,000 and and had it forgiven, you'd feel more happy than if you had a debt of $10,000 and you had it forgiven. I mean, it's just, it's just, and and, and so what Jesus is saying is, Simon, don't you understand? She's had this huge debt. She's overwhelmed because she, who was so lost, has now been found, all right? And and, and so, Simon, that's what's going on here. And you, Simon, you don't love very much. Interesting. You obey a lot of the commands, but, Simon, you don't love very much. Jesus says, then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, and, and you could preach a whole sermon on this, do you see this woman? You want to know becoming more like Jesus is? It's learning to see a woman, not a sinner. Jesus. Simon had never seen a woman there behind Jesus. He saw a sinner. He saw a skank. He saw a hooker. He saw that. But Jesus says, do you see this woman? Becoming like Jesus is learning to see a woman, not a sinner. A man, not a sinner. Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me water for my feet but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair you did not give me a kiss but this woman from the time i entered has not stopped kissing my feet and you did not put oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet simon you were here to evaluate me you were here to kind of tell me okay i got to check out if i'm you got to check out if i'm okay she's here to love me Simon, it's because she was so in debt, because she knew she was a nobody. She knew she was a nobody. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Again, it's not that because she loves, then she gets forgiven, but she loves because she's been forgiven, all right? As her great love has shown, she loves because she's been forgiven. That's why we know she met Jesus before. And, And then the line for Simon and the line for Ron, to look at my heart. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. What is Jesus saying to Simon? Here's what it is, and I think this is fascinating. Okay, I think this is so interesting because it goes against what we sometimes think is, is the way things are. I think what Jesus is saying to Simon here is, he says, okay, let's say, Simon, let's say you're less of a sinner than she is. Okay, I think Jesus is willing to give that to Simon. I mean, she's been oppressed. Simon has really worked hard to be obedient, okay? I, I mean, again, it, it lets, I'll give you that, Simon. Your debt is not as big as hers, okay? In fact, let's say your debt is only one-tenth of what hers is. That's what the parable says, right? That's what the story says. Simon, let me tell you something. Your debt is only one-tenth. You're right. She's ten times worse than you are. She's 10 times worse than you are. And I think in some ways Jesus wants to say, okay, Ron, okay, people in Cutlerville, some of those people are a lot worse than you, okay? A lot of you do business and you seek to honor God in your business and you try to tell the truth, and, and, and a lot of us do that. And there are a lot of people who lie and cheat and steal and sleep around in our offices, and we try not we don't do those things, whatever it is. But you know what? Doesn't that count for anything? In a sense, I think Jesus says, sure, let's make somebody who's 10 times worse than you. And I think Jesus is saying to Simon, Simon, okay, you see her? She's 10 times worse than you, but here's the problem you still can't pay. Doesn't matter if she's ten times worse or a hundred times worse or a thousand times worse. Simon, you're still dead in the water. You see, there's a key line in the parable that I read too quickly. We need to go back to it, verse 42. It says, Neither, neither had the ability to pay him back. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of them both. All right, you see, what what, what the message is, is, is you still can't pay Simon, you might be 10 times better than her, but what you need to understand is you're a nobody. What you need to understand is you're still dead in your sins. What you need to understand is that at the end of the day, bankrupt is bankrupt. It doesn't matter if you're just a little bit bankrupt. If you're bankrupt, you're bankrupt. If you're pregnant, you're pregnant, right? And you can be pretty in your death. Tim Keller talks about this. He says, you know what? Part of our problem, you know, Let's imagine that there's somebody who was, who was killed um, by a little spider, sleeping at night. woman is she's just all she does is just goes to sleep and she dies. she's beautiful still in her death. Somebody else was mauled by a lion or a tiger or a bear, all right? You can be beautiful, dead, or ugly dead, but dead is dead. Simon was beautifully dead, but what he didn't understand is he was still dead. And, and, in the dis- and, and the danger of being a somebody, the danger for me, and I'll let you decide if it's a danger for you, but the danger for me is that I'm good at the game. I mean, I'm a pastor. I've given my life to this. I could have been a car dealer, lying, cheating, stealing all the time just to have it expected of me. No. My brothers are great. But come on. I can play an ace of fasting and a king of righteousness and a queen of tithing and a jack of whatever you want. And the danger is I can be like Simon. And and, and you know where it shows up is in my lack of love. (laughs) Because somehow I still think I'm doing it on my own. I'm not as dead as that other person who's down on the streets. I'm not as dead as that alcoholic who can't even pay his bills or her bills. And, and that's the danger of being a somebody. That, that's why we need this gospel of Luke. Because, friends, the only way we get saved is when we understand that we're nobodies. It is extremely dangerous to be able to think that we're somebody's. And in Cutlerville, a lot of us can think that. But, friends, dead is dead. And this table is for dead people. I don't need a few more cards in my hand. I don't if you need, need a few more points. I... I I need a new life. I don't need a little bit of healing. I need a resurrection. And when I understand that, that this woman, I don't care whether she, we're both dead in the water, right? I mean, if you're a prisoner of war going to get executed, you don't say, well, you were a worse spy than I was. (laughs) Bullets coming for both of us, buddy. We're pretty much the same. And that's what the gospel teaches us. That's what Luke is showing us. That's what Jesus is saying. Simon, don't you understand? Neither had the ability to pay. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. So great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And we don't know exactly where Simon's heart ends up on this day or later on in his life. But we know he needs to think about it. What is Jesus saying to us? Let's wrap this up. What is Jesus saying to us? First of all, to those of us who know we're nobodies. What Jesus is saying to the nobodies, he says, we are somebodies in God's eyes. If you come here this morning feeling beaten up by life, if you come here this morning deeply aware that no matter what anybody else thinks, I know I'm a nobody, then the good news is that Jesus Christ died, and he wants you to come to his table because we are somebodies in God's eyes, and, and we can come home. We, we can come home, friends. God has a heart for the nobodies, and for the somebodies, the word we need to know is that we're nobodies, is that we're nobodies, okay? And then the good news is this, you see, you you can kind of say, well, great, okay, I went to church and Ron told me I was a nobody, all right, good, guess what, once you discover you're a nobody, then you get to see above about the nobodies, (laughs) See, the, the key is, if you're a nobody, that, that's, why, that's why the nobodies always came to Jesus first, right? Because they knew it. The somebodies, those of us who are somebodies, we've got to take a detour, we've got to first become nobodies, and then we get to be somebodies in God's eyes. So it's a gospel for all of us. <laughs> it's, it's not a gospel for the nobodies alone. It's a gospel for the somebodies who have to learn to be nobody so that they can become somebodies. And that's the good news of Jesus. And as we come to this table... As we come to this table, as we eat, as we drink, what we celebrate is that we're all nobodies. None of us can pay. But Jesus Christ died on the cross so we could be forgiven. And he said, Take this bread, drink this cup, and remember that you are somebody. You are precious. You are forgiven. You are accepted. And you can come home. Jesus paid it all. Let's pray together. Father, uh, some of us know we're nobodies. We've failed a lot in our lives. Some of us in really public ways. And the world knows we're nobodies. Some of us, the world thinks we're somebodies, but we know we're nobodies. And, Father, for some of us, we're still kind of thinking we're somebodies. Fathers, we come to this table, break our hearts, and remind us, as we sang earlier, that we need you. Oh, how we need you. We come as nobodies. Father, right now, we just declare ourselves to be nobodies who are fed by Jesus to become somebodies. We pray this in his name. Amen.